If you would, turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 13. Luke, chapter 13, we're going to begin reading at verse number 6. Luke, chapter 13, verse number 6. Jesus also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the, vineyard, the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But the servant answered him and said, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit well... But if not, after that, cut it down. Well, here we are at a new year. And every year in church, we all get excited. We all jump up and down. We all hoop and holler about what God is going to do and, what, and how God is going to move in this new year. But I want you to know two weeks into 2020, I'm really not concerned about what God is going to do. Because I know God is going to fulfill and carry out his will on this earth. God's going to do his thing. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is, what are you and I going to do with another year? You see, because we need to make sure that we are, prop, we are properly focused on what this new year brings and what our thinking is for new, this new year. You see, because when I talk about that we have a new year, that we have another year, if you think about it, that's really pretty empowering. But you see, what happens so many times, particularly among people of faith, in our attempt to give God glory, we rob power from his people. And we put all the responsibility of progress, all the responsibility of peace, of deliverance, we put all the responsibility of everything, we put it all back on God, and we sit back twiddling our thumbs, doing absolutely nothing while we're just waiting on God to move. And so what happens is we end up missing everything God is expecting from us to do. But listen, if we're going to be effective in this world, we have to take action. Action Jackson. That's who we need to be. You see, God will bless you in all that you do, but you yourself have to get off of the bench. You yourself have to get up out of the pew, and you have to get into the game. Now, there's a saying I'm sure you've probably all heard, and there's two versions of it. When in doubt about what to do, just do something. Just do anything. Well, that sounds great. But the problem is there's many of us that have done just something and it's gotten us in all kinds of trouble. Can anyone say amen to that? Well, then the other side of that coin is when in doubt about what to do, don't do anything. And so then you have another group of people that do absolutely nothing. And consequently, the years have rolled by, their age is creeping up. And when that happens, we begin to look back over our lives and we realize that we have wasted our most valuable resource, time. And so because of that, when people do that, we have old people acting like young people, trying to relive their youth again. 
We have young people who are still wet behind the ears thinking they know it all. Of course, none of you are that way at all. We have babies having babies, but yet grandma doesn't want to be grandma because grandma just wants to be sexy. And we really don't get it. We just don't get it that what really makes life effective is to understand what season you're in and what you're supposed to be doing and not wish to be what you simply cannot be and to enjoy what should be happening for this stage in your life. Now, I'm really not talking about clothing or apparel or fads as much as I'm talking about attitudes of our heart. And so in our text, Jesus shares a parable that is really quite profound. He talks about a man who owns a fig tree, and for three years this guy has come expecting fruit and nothing. Well, then you have the caretaker of the vineyard. And he's asking the master for compassion. He says to him, let me work on it. Come on, let me work on it one more year. Well, it reminds me just a little bit of justice and mercy having a debate about us. Justice says, hey, listen, for the age you're at, dude, you should be further along. Justice says, for the age, dudette, you should be more mature as a Christian. You ought to be more developed. You should be more stable. You shouldn't be as weak. You shouldn't be as tempted. Listen, you are too old to be as lustful as you are, you pervert. <laughs> Justice says, you should be developed more. But then you have mercy saying, well, Let's give them another chance. It's not too late. Let's, let, let's give them another chance. Friend, the greatest thing besides salvation that God has ever given you is the ability to have another chance. Right. And so we see justice exhibited by the owner. We see mercy exhibited by the gardener. And the truth is, you really have to have both. You have to be balanced. I mean, you can have all the justice without mercy, and what do you end up with? Legalism. And you've met people like that. I mean, they don't discover that there is even a word of mercy until they're in trouble. And then they're all for it, and they even know how to spell it. But then when you're in trouble, they've forgotten that there was any mercy. And all they want is justice. You see, that's legalism. But then the other side of that is all mercy with no justice. Well, that becomes liberality. Anything goes. Everything's okay. No standards. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. If it feels good, do it. Liberalness, liberality. No justice, just all mercy. Mercy, 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 mercy. Which really sounds great on the surface. But if you raise your kids like that, letting little precious do anything he wants to do, ho, 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 you're in for a risky situation. You see, because little precious is going to actually end up feeling unloved. Because love is demonstrated through discipline. That's why I know my wife loves me. 
But love is caring enough to challenge me. Love is caring enough to correct me. Love is not letting me live by the mantra of if it feels good, do it. And so the sign of maturity in a believer is to have balance in your life and not going overboard either way. Today, Christians, they want to talk about, oh, I have freedom, I have freedom, I can do this, I can do this, I can live like the world because I have freedom. This isn't about freedom. You can have all the freedom you want, but if you are mature in your Christian walk, you will be balanced. Not because someone won't let you do anything, but because you have a sense of responsibility. But then if you take that a step further, all responsibility with no sense of freedom, that'll wreck your life. It'll wreck your marriage. It'll wreck your family. Because then you become such a workaholic that you've given people things, but you've not given them any of yourself. And so balance is you don't want to be so responsible that you don't take any time off. But then you don't want to be the other extreme where you just float from one thing to the other thing because you're doing what you want to do. What you want and what you need is balance. But you know what's really amazing is that, that you can't tell from looking on the outside of people who is and who isn't balanced. I mean, looking at my sister, you would really think that she's balanced. <laughs> you would just think that she is. And she is. She really is. I don't know why you laughed at that. I was just pointing out that they're really balanced people. But many times you don't know what you've got until you've married them or hired them or seen them in certain situations. And now you're in a situation with someone who has all the credentials to be an asset but actually ends up being a liability because they have no balance. Listen, you cannot be fruitful for the long haul without balance. That's what got us into this whole talk today about the tree not being fruitful. And we don't have to wonder what God thinks about being fruitful because the very first commandment that God gives man in the Garden of Eden was to be fruitful. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed him and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Now men, don't go home and throw that up to your wives. Because God also said that we are to subdue the earth, which means that we need to get up from our lazy boy and go to work. One wife appreciating that over there. But as we go into this new year, we need to settle something. And if we can't settle this, if we can't agree on this, you know, I really don't know if I'm going to be able to help you much. And that is the fact that God wants you to be fruitful. God wants you to be fruitful. Now, I don't care what you call it, how you label it. You can criticize it all you want. You can dance around it. But I am too old, and I've seen too much to wrestle with whether or not God wants to bless me. I am convinced, I have seen it in my life and others' lives, that God does want to bless me and that he put me on this terra firma to be fruitful. Yes. I mean, it just makes sense. 
If God created apple trees to be fruitful, if he created orange trees to be fruitful, if he put fish in the sea and birds in the air and told everything he created to be fruitful, why would I, as a born-again, blood-washed Christian, be struggling with whether God wants me to be fruitful or not? After all, what did Jesus say in Luke chapter 12? He said, don't fear, church, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All that he has is yours. He wants to bless you. He wants to make you productive. He wants to make you fruitful. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not necessarily talking about being rich like Bill Gates or being famous like the Kardashians. But I am talking about being productive by producing something every day that you're alive. That's what I'm talking about, about being fruitful. And frankly, our nation is in trouble right now. Of course, for many reasons. But one main reason is because we have allowed ourselves to become more consumers than we are producers. As a country, we have ceased to be as productive as we once were, and therefore we live off of the production of other nations. And anytime you allow yourself to get to the point that you have more time than you are producing fruit, you are going to end up in a spiritual or an emotional or a financial recession because people aren't just going to give you something for nothing. Whether it is love, money, time, or talent, the question is, what do you bring to the table? What do you produce? God said to Adam, produce something. Do something. I didn't blow into you the breath of life and then expect you just to hang out playing video games or watching Netflix. I want you to be productive all the days of your life. Now, it is a proven fact. You can fact check me on this, but not during the sermon. Wait till it's over. It's a proven fact that older people maintain life and agility much more effectively as long as they have some level of productivity. There is something about just being productive. If you don't do anything but take a walk around your house or go down the grocery store aisle carrying a half a gallon of milk, there is something about being productive that keeps you alive and keeps you vibrant and keeps you moving forward. What does your business produce? What do your children produce? What do you produce? You see, anything that doesn't produce something has no right to ask God to bless it. You see, because God's promise is to bless us in what we do. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 9, I will make you abound in all the work of your hand. Now, God has blessed our nation for many reasons, but one of which is that we were productive. Our entire economy was built on productivity. When we first started out, we were agricultural. Then we went to industrial, and we continued to be productive. But then when the technology revolution came, we became a consumer of other nations' goods. And any time you stop producing and start relying on your neighbor to take care of you, you are in a dangerous situation. Listen, even if you work part-time for minimum wage, it's good for you to do something to produce, something to validate your right to be on the planet. 
It may not pay every bill. It may only pay one bill. But if you are breathing God's pure air, get your backside up in the morning and do something productive, and I promise you, God will bless you. Well, thank you for the four people that believe that. Over and over again, God teaches us that his expectation is that we produce. It's the law of reciprocity. Sowing and reaping, seed time and harvest. Whatever you send out comes back to you, give and it shall be given. Reciprocity. Oh, wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. I get, okay. I'm sorry. I left something very vitally important out of this message that I need to tell you. This is not about money. That's why you guys are sitting there like you were carved when the builder made the pew. You thought, I'm going to hit you up for more money. Oh, that's it. Take your hand off your wallet. You're safe. Go ahead and starve if you want to, if you don't want to give. That's not up to me. That's between you and God. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about being productive so that God can bless you in everything that you have to do. God says, I'm not going to continue to invest in my creation. The sun, the moon, the air, water that, that goes and gives life when something doesn't give it back to me. And if you do that, you've broken a law. You are an outlaw because you're taking more than you're giving. And anytime something takes more than it gives, it's not going to last. I'm talking about your boyfriend. I'm talking about your spouse. I'm talking about church members. I'm talking about pastors. I'm talking about preachers, butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers. It is God's law of reciprocity. And so you can sense the frustration of the owner when he says in verse 7, For three years I have come to this tree and found no fruit. Why does it use up the ground? He says, why are you taking up space if you're not going to produce? You're depleting the soil, you're taking in the rain, you're soaking up the sun. But if you're not giving anything back, you have broken a law of nature. And he goes on, he says, I could have put something else in your place that would have been more productive and would have taken advantage of the rich resources that you've received. And if you're not going to do anything, I'm just going to cut you down, pull you up by the roots and get something in there that will produce. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm really not. But do you realize that there is someone who could take the hand that you've been dealt and win? There's someone who could move into your house and make it. There's someone who could take the opportunities that you and I have wasted and use them for God's glory and get something done. And so if you are determined not to be anything, move over and let the person behind you step up because they have just been praying for a chance for several years. And you might be that person that's here today. And you're saying, all I need is a chance, a chance at a good life, a chance at a good wife, a chance at a good husband, a chance at an open door. Just give me a chance. And I believe someone in this room today is sitting on go. Your engine is charged, your tank is full, and you're just waiting on the opportunity. And if you're ready to go God's way, if you'll do what God says, God is telling you this will be your year. 
Thank you, Benny. I appreciate that. Because I really don't know if very many people are getting it. The owner is frustrated by the lack of cooperation from the fig tree. And by now he thinks the tree should have been fruitful. He said, I've come here for three years looking for fig newtons and found nothing. <laughs> Not so fast, grasshopper. Mr. Owner, a fig tree doesn't produce fruit in its first year. It's a fact. You can fact check me on that after the sermon. It doesn't produce fruit in its second year. And so just as it's dangerous to sit and waste the resources that God has given you, it's also dangerous to expect too much too fast. Right. Remember, we're talking about balance here, right? So let me talk for just a few minutes about impatience. You don't take a one-year-old tree and expect to get fruit from it. You see, the owner is expecting something that's not realistic. And some of you may be here today and you're depressed, and you're depressed because you're expecting something that's simply not realistic. And so you may need to adjust your expectations to reality. And the reality is it takes time to be fruitful. You see, it's dangerous to compare yourself to other people who have been doing something for a longer period of time. It isn't logical to have, to expect to have overnight something that it took me 20 years to get. And then you think that if I just lay hands on you, you're going to get it through divine osmosis. It's not very likely. It takes time to be fruitful. It takes time to be productive. It, take, it takes time to find yourself. It takes time to figure out what you're good at. It takes time to figure out what you're called to do. Now, do not misunderstand me. Hello, hello. I am not talking about giving you license to be lazy. While you are figuring out your skill set, you still need to be productive, even if that means cooking hamburgers. You are not going to find your calling sitting on the couch watching Dr. Phil. But it can take time to find yourself. That's why you shouldn't get married too soon. That's why you shouldn't pick a career too soon. Because you need to wait and allow God to develop you so that you can begin to understand what he wants you to do. Because here's the thing, sometimes you don't know what you want. And that's why you shouldn't go shopping, because if you haven't decided what you want or what God wants you to have, someone will come up and try to talk you into buying something that could end up destroying you because they will convince you that you need to keep up with the Joneses. The Bible says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. It takes time. It takes time to have a good marriage. It takes effort to have a good marriage. I mean, listen, it's much easier to have a good old wedding than it is to have a good old marriage. Anybody can have a good old wedding. It takes time to be a faithful and dutiful husband. It takes time to be a faithful and dutiful wife. You say, I do, in sickness and in health. But hey, listen, sweetheart, you really don't know how sick sick is. It hasn't been long enough for me to be sick yet. Are you going to be faithful when I'm throwing up? Are you going to be faithful when I'm on dialysis? Are you going to be faithful when I get laid off? There are certain things that nothing takes the place of time. 
You may be frustrated by the fact that we live in a microwave world, instantaneous, I want it now, a world of slick advertisements, instant, instant success. The infomercial, flip houses my way and go from a one-bedroom shack to a six-bedroom mansion. It's the same with spiritual development, the way it's marketed. Blessings are us. Quick, fast, give it to me now. But you see, what has been invested in you to develop and to germinate and come to a place of productivity, it can take some time. I mean, it takes nine months to have a baby. Now, if you have it in three months, you're going to have some trouble. It's our expectation. Having things too fast can be dangerous. And so was it, it wasn't right to expect fruit in the first year. It wasn't realistic to expect it in the second year. And it's even optional in the third year. And so now they're having the discussion to make a decision about the new year. And this is a very tough decision. You see, because there's a voice of frustration that says, now, now this tree, this tree for all it costs and all I've invested in, in it is not doing very well. So maybe I should just cut it down to the ground and get another tree. But then there's a voice of mercy saying, hey, I'm not sure that we've done everything that we could do to bring this tree to a place of fruition. Give me another year to work on it. Now, if you think I've been rattling on about fig tree for this 30 minutes, you've completely missed the point. And maybe that's why you're still in the same point of spirituality that you were three years ago. I don't know. But you see, most of us have something in our life that we are deliberating about. And the same discussion that's going on in this text is going on in your life and my life. Should I stay on this job and hope it turns into something? Or am I wasting my time? Should I stay in this marriage and hope it turns into something? Or should I leave? Now, I know you didn't expect me to say anything like that from the pulpit. Hey, but let's be honest. People sitting in the pews are getting divorced just like those sitting in the clubs. And so maybe we need to talk about it from the pulpit. Right. Some of you have been married more times than I got fingers. It's not good. It's not good. But it does happen. And God can bring you through it. There's no doubt about it. But even those of you who have been married to one person for all these years, you know that there are some days that you roll over and you look at them and you say, should I? Don't say amen. Don't laugh. You'll give yourself away. But you wonder, would another year really do us any good? You wonder, should I send this kid back to college? I mean, he's just getting D's and F's, wasting that money. Decisions. Should I put a new carburetor in this old car, or should I just junk it and go into debt for another one? It's a tough decision. Should we lay off these employees? Should I move back in with my parents to try to get rid of my student loans? You see, this year is going to be a year of tough decisions. And what we're watching in this text is a very difficult decision being made, and the householder, in his frustration, is making a rash decision. 
Friend, listen to me. You cannot make a great decision guided by your emotions. The owner says, I'm sick of it. It's not working. It's taking a lot of time. It's taking a lot out of me. It's taking up space. It's taking up soil. Three years I've expected something from this tree. Now you have to understand, this is a businessman. He's not just hungry. He wants to sell his figs and turn it into something productive, and it's not working. I could put something else in this space that produces and be done with it. I need to put a Chick-fil-A here. That is a gold mine. Watch out for making decisions out of your emotions. Now, what I said was worth the price of admission. Watch out for making decisions out of your emotions. Because many of the people that you come in contact with are being guided by their feelings. You say, what's wrong with that? Well, the problem with that is sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're not. Sometimes you feel sanctified, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you feel like being married, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you feel like judgment, but sometimes you feel like mercy. And if you're guided by your feelings, your life is going to be up and down and down and up and sometimes sideways. But you see, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Being productive. You can't be fruitful if you're not stable, and you can't be stable if you're guided by your emotions. It's possible that some of you would have been fruitful years ago, but you keep changing. Change jobs, you change spouses, you change houses. You haven't stayed anywhere long enough to accrue any value in anything you do because you're guided by impatience. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Frustration will wreck your life. Because the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And frustration is an enemy that will wreck God's plan for your life. Because sometimes you just have to be still and know that God is God and trust Him and wait on Him. He may not always pay on Friday, but God always pays on time. And so what that means is you have to stop asking yourself how you feel and stand on what you believe because your feelings can lead you off of a cliff. I mean, face it, you don't have to feel saved to be saved. You don't have to feel married to be married. You don't have to feel blessed to be blessed. But you do have to stand on what you believe and then bring your feelings in alignment with that belief that says, I am the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loves me. You're never going to be fruitful making decisions out of your feelings. And you will kill all the fruit you could have had because you're guided by your feelings. Great people, really qualified people, they come to work and they growl, don't say anything to me, I'm not feeling good today. <laughs> now, every one of you thought of someone you work with when I said that. This person, I mean, they could be qualified to run the company, but their emotions are robbing them of being fruitful. You see, because your talent will get you a seat at the table, but your character could very easily pull the seat out from under you. 
Emotional frustration can make you a wreck. It can wreck your car. It can wreck your family. It can wreck your life. Feelings out of control. Maybe the past years haven't been as productive as they could have been for you because they've been controlled by your feelings. If so, and if you don't get honest with yourself and you continue to lie to yourself, you're going to waste another year. But you need to own it. And you need to admit, hey, the idiot's talking about me. And I've got to fix it because I don't want another unfruitful year. Anna Quindlin, an American author, says, I walk for miles at night along the beach searching endlessly for someone wonderful who could step out of the darkness and change my life. It never crossed my mind that the person could be me. Friend, listen to me. It is not a matter of what God wants to do in your life this year. It's a matter of what you will let God do in your life this year. God has the plan. God has the purpose. God has the tools. But he needs us to work them. <laughs> 